Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Music and Photography Podcast. I'm Billy Sanford, and on this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Frank Jackson. Frank, thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. So we were we were just chatting a little bit before we started, and you were about to tell me we had talked a little bit of, uh, leading up to that about pictures, and there's an art aspect to photography there's the memories but then there's social documentary part about photography as well and i wasn't sure if that's what you were about to to tell us what i was thinking is i'm i'm I'm, i uh i started out when there was nothing but film and then i was kicking and screaming through the digital world at first i was like ah digital eh, it's not gonna last (laughs) right boy said Ah, you idiot. It's going to be here. It's going to get better. You better chase the train that's slowly leaving you. I didn't have any money for a nice camera. Back then, the cameras were outrageously expensive, and they didn't do anything. The digital cameras, oh, they were a ton of money. You know, a nine-megapixel digital camera was $10,000, you know? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) You know, and, and it looked to get them to they look great on the screen and then you had to have voodoo magic to, to print them you know right so i was still shooting film and processing them then i bought a flat pitch scanner so i would scan my black and white prints i made in the dark room to get them okay. into the computer and they look great right and then I print one and it came out purple because i didn't understand color <laughs> and you know that's another whole game but i got my picture to the computer so it gave me a web presence you okay. know Right. I guess the whole point to this is I like a photograph. A photograph to me is so I've had this talk with the young guys I run into. I say they go, you know, they 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 they, they want you to start judging pictures and I'm like I won't say I'm a good judge of pictures. What I am is I know what I like when I see it. Right. And everyone you know what you like when you see it because it grabs you by your eyeballs and says look at it look look at this don't you wish you'd taken this picture <laughs> when i see a picture that stops me the first thing in my mind is i i, I get green with envy i go i hate them i wish i had taken a shot it's amazing and then you want to make sure it wasn't a fluke so what you do is you you start looking at the other work they've done and mm-hmm. usually by the third picture this person has a gift mm-hmm. i'm going to say this you can't teach composition. 
You can right. show composition, but you can't teach it. Right. Especially talking about street photography. Street photography is not static. Nobody's standing still most of the time. Henri Cartier-Bresson would, would hunt or he would wait and stalk. But, right. you know, sometimes he picked a spot and waited for something to happen. But a lot of times he was moving and shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an assassin. He would walk up, pop you twice, and you didn't know you, you, know you were hit, and he's gone. Um, right. You know, but you can use composition for a landscape because the trees don't move. You know, right. trees don't move, buildings don't move. But when it comes to people, you better get your shot. You may not get a second chance. <laughs> That's right. But well, uh, this- go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, talking about pictures and kind of getting some of your work online, maybe as sort of an introduction to people listening, the way that you and I connected in late 2020, I had gotten back into film earlier in the year and, and later in the year, I was starting to learn darkroom printing oh, and, yeah. reached, and reached out to you. I wanted to buy one of your prints and ended up getting this one of, of this feather, which yeah. the listeners won't be able to see, <laughs> but it's a square print, right? It was taken with a Hasselblad. Yes. Uh, half the feather just fades into the shadows. I mean, it, it's a great composition. And then on the, the right side that is lit, just very fine detail of every hair on the feather. So I love the print and it, like I mentioned, it's a square, but it's matted in 11 by 14. Yeah. Very nice. And I love the caption that you wrote. It takes more than one feather to fly, but it's a start. That is, so I came up with pictures and words and the series, I call it pursuit of balance and the floating egg is, is balance right and words for that is knowing what you can and cannot do is the pursuit of balance mm-hmm. and the, 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 to find that is if you can keep control of yourself the world will never get too crazy you can always keep your feet on the ground no one will ever rattle you right because your space will be calm where you are and mm-hmm. The pictures I have, so so one of the books I did, so I published, besides a coffee cup series, there's two coffee cup books. There's a book called Pursuit of Balance, and the egg, the floating egg is the, is the picture for that one. Okay. And um, another one is my stepmother was the chair of the, the, chair of the nutrition department at a college, a university. Okay. And so I was getting a tour of the school. And they had an old-fashioned classroom with those old built-in chairs. And the light hit the room just right. And I photographed it with the Hasselblad because that was my walk-around camera. Okay. And so that picture, the words for that is, it's just, it's just a picture of a classroom with no, no students in it. Mm-hmm. A great teacher knows when to stop teaching, you know, because that's like me to say a mentor. A good mentor mm-hmm. will take someone under their wing First, they'll assess to see if the person is willing to not cut corners and do the work to become very, very good. I mean, you become better than good. You become in that space where you're great. You're chasing greatness. Right. And you may surpass your mentor. 
and a good mentor likes that. It's just like right. a mom bird teaches a bird to fly. Right. Fly high. You can fly higher than mama. That's even better. <laughs> that's right. The mentors that, that I ran into were scared of me. Hmm. And when they saw my 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 level of talent, they shut me out. Right. They were like, oh, you're going to take work from me. One thing I can tell you for a fact, you don't take work from anybody. Right. You can't. You know, it's like, no. I think, and the point you're you're kind of getting to is if you've got a photography client and you're keeping them happy, they're not going to be going looking for another photographer. No. Right. And, and that is true in a lot of aspects of life, I guess. It's you got to deliver the goods. Yeah. You, you, so my whole thing now is I start to, I got my first, the first digital camera I got was a four thirds camera and it was, it was fine, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm a detail person, you know, and after running around with a Hasselblad, <laughs> you get a four thirds digital camera and they're good. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're not, they're not full frame and, and, and they didn't, there's no beef behind them. Um, right. They're fine for a lot of things. I got my first full frame camera in 2012 and it, it looked like film, the files, you know, the right. detail was there. It was, a. Uh, you know, and I've gone way past. Uh, I'm not the equipment whore. Everybody's. I just shoot with. You know, people don't ask me what I shoot with. Right. I, the camera I use is. I have it for a specific reason because it's the tool. It's 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 the tool that gives me exactly what I want. Mm. You know, is that the Sony? Yeah, the the A1. Uh, that camera. You know. When that thing came out, and I saw the price on it. I was like, "Oh, I can't afford that." But when I saw the raw files came mm -hmm. out with this camera, and I'm used to looking at eight by ten negatives and beautiful, pristine negatives out of Hasselblad and large format, right? And, uh, I was blown away. I was like, "Wow!" So if the files look like this, imagine what you can—you don't do much to them to get black and white and color. I mean insane black and white in color with detail and right. depth, like film so that's my that's my my tool and you know it gives me almost medium format resolution literally right. you know um so i don't own a medium format uh camera and uh, what i found is they don't auto focus that well they're not, they're not for that they're not mm -hmm. for fast stuff with they're they're kind of more of a slow down static kind of camera right um, well well back in the film days because i know you you like you mentioned you did a little bit of all of it 35 millimeter and medium format and large format kind yeah. of were those different phases you went through or did you tend to pick the format to fit the subject matter that you were photographing at the time so on my business card. Did I send you a card when I sent you the print, the little tiny thing? You did? Yeah. There's a word on there and it says, I think I think at the time I was putting it on there, ubiquitous, which is Latin for ubiquity. Right. And ubiquitous, that, that definition is the ability to be everywhere and present at the same time. So you're not, 
multitasking and, and doing a half job, you're, you're complete in all phases of your spaces. Right. So photographs is ubiquitous, which means I like all kinds. I take pictures of everything. Mm-hmm. Everything's special. It's, it's, and what, what makes it special is the light. It's understanding right. the light. You either use the light that's there and it's working for you, or you, you learn to bring light and use it to to uh, make these living and inanimate objects come to life. Right. I remember one of my clients. He gave me a very nice compliment. He said, "You can make, you can make a pavement come to life," which <laughs> 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 is kind of funny, you know. Uh, so right. That's uh, that's that's pretty good. So ubiquity. My, I went out today. I, you know, I took my, I would take my camera. I go out and take, I have a camera with me. I, um, I, I've been riding. I, I don't own a car anymore, and I'm glad about that. It, it gets me in the middle of things. You know, like you ride the bus, you either, you, you're around people. Right. You know, in Los Angeles, everybody has a car. Is this, this is car central. Right. And I. You know, my last accident, I said, you know what? I don't need a car. I was putting gas in it and driving nowhere. Uh, if I need to go to the, I wasn't going to the supermarket every day for food. Mm-hmm. Once a week, twice a week. I could Lyft or Uber to do that. Right. You know, and I'm not buying that much food. I start totaling up my expenses. Insurance was outrageous. Gas is out. Gas in California, well, gas where I am, <laughs> is $5 a gallon. Right. You know, and it's not going down. It, it, that that price is here to stay. No, um, and I'm in Alabama. It's not quite half that. It's like three dollars a gallon, but substantially lower. I was in Huntsville. I got flown out there to a uh, chef. Flew me out to photograph him for two weeks. He was getting contact for his internet website, mm-hmm. and gas was two dollars a gallon, and they were complaining. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. We're paying, you know, it's three something where we were. It was three. Yeah, it was under, it was slightly under $2 and it was three for us, which was, you know, people were used to it. You mentioned mentoring earlier, and I know you've done some workshops specifically up in Rhode Island not long ago. But just in general, if you're teaching a workshop, young people or people who are new, kind of what is your approach and process? How do you try and get them like you were talking about the teacher how did you know taking that raw talent whatever those people are bringing to the table and trying to set them down the right path kind of what is your approach to that first thing i want to see the pictures they take you know and if they are just they're so on fire that they have to always take a picture i think i love that instead Mm -hmm. of they're kind of eh, you know i'd rather go Maybe take a picture and then go play my Xbox. I'm like, well, yeah, go play the Xbox. Maybe be good at that, you know. Right. You know, don't don't you know, you know, you're not into it, you're not into it. That, that's okay. The first thing I do if someone comes to me and says, I'm gonna take one of your workshops, I'm like, I try to make sure they understand that they're not gonna shoot pictures like me. Mm-hmm. You should come to me because I can help you get better at taking pictures you want to take. And first I'm gonna find out how knowledgeable are you of the craft you know because 
some people are born to dance and some people can and some people can take training and can learn to look like they can dance. Right. But somebody that can dance naturally, they just move and do their own thing. And you know, everybody knows somebody like that. That's not me, but I know some people. The music comes on, they get on the floor and they're just mesmerizing because they just move, they float, they're doing mm-hmm. their own thing, you know, and people are just and, and and not just me, but everybody else sees it. There's always that person in the group, you know. <laughs> right. Someone that and and, and people, people that want to get to the next level with the craft. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not satisfied with with okay, I did that, I can do better. Right. I'm constantly, I've taken a shot and I'm going, I'm always going, mm, that wasn't, sometimes I'll, say, I'll do something like, oh, that's it. You know, and other times, eh, I don't know, but I don't throw anything away. Right. You know, I don't, I don't pass, I don't pass judgment on most of the time. I'll wait, I'll save it. All my, I, I never threw negatives away. I shot mm-hmm. shots. I might take a shot of something and my subconscious made me take the picture. Right. So this is how it works is you walk down the street or you're someplace and you see something and it looks amazing. I don't think about it. I shoot. No thinking allowed. <laughs> take a picture, mm-hmm. take another one, or if you have to, and then leave. You know, in the film days, you didn't sit there and look at your screen. We call it chipping. <laughs> right. You you figured you got something, you processed the film. Mm-hmm. But uh you, no thinking allowed, you take the picture and you go for the next one. Right. When you get home and you process it, however you're going to do it. And, you know, I treat my digital cameras like film cameras. I I take very good exposures, so Mm -hmm. I'm not fixing that. You know, what I'm doing is I'm watching my noise levels. I have to shoot high ISOs. Mm -hmm. I have software to get rid of that. I expose to make sure that my... Highlight areas are not clipped out, so there's no no information in there because film doesn't clip. Right. You can burn in the sky and film, <laughs> even if you can't see it'll improve. You you can burn it in. Yeah. But right. I, I have found that a lot of digital cameras, a lot of high end digital cameras, clip. Right. Well, maybe this is you, you just mentioned in burning in the sky, and also kind of uh, going back on your images and reevaluating so uh, going back to printing in general kind of to what is the um, the significance to you of printing your work versus looking at it on a screen talk through that a little bit okay so why would you spend at least fifteen hundred dollars on a camera and a lens and you never print your pictures you might as well keep shooting with the phone right <laughs> That's true. A minimum of fifteen hundred dollars, and they'll never print the pictures. So here's the thing: on my workshops, the ones I did at Sammy's camera, mm-hmm. when you took a workshop for me, it was two days. The first day, I did a presentation. You know, we, we didn't do a lot of talking. I didn't. I didn't do a lot of talking at people. You know, I got mm-hmm. people involved in. Hey, what do you like to do? And I talked to them. We would go shoot. We would talk a little bit, and we'd go shoot pictures. And the second day, they would come, and I would we'd pick out two, and I'd show them how to adjust them for a really how to adjust them in black and white. Right. 
And my whole thing was, if you don't have a camera, bring your phone. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be snobbly. Like I'm not going to play the, oh, you don't have a camera. Well, I don't want you. No, <laughs> bring, bring a phone. Right. We did, we, did, we did an iPhone thing and we made prints. And you just swore those prints were coming out of the Hasselblad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, you know, iPhone, a lot of the smartphones are high res enough to give you almost a 16 by 20. Right. And it looks good. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's absolutely scary how good it looks. You know, it so, is. They're really putting those better and better sensors in the phones these yeah, days. Aren't getting any bigger. That's the problem. So they're writing all these crazy algorithms <laughs> and witch doctor software, you know. That's and right. my thing is at some point, you know, it's like putting a turbo on a motor. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to get a bigger motor before, you know, because you keep turbo on the motor, it's gonna blow up. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> you know, it's not gonna work, not gonna be that great, not gonna last long. So we would they left with two five by seven prints because okay. we had beautiful black and white prints. And when you evaluate your pictures on paper, mm-hmm. you can only see it one way how it is on the phone. You know, you could turn it around, you know, but on the paper, there it is. Right. So you start printing, you become a better photographer. That makes sense. Just like in the dark room, but this works in a digitally too. And you could buy a cheap printer that makes small prints. You don't need to. You don't need to get crazy. You know, I had I had to go crazy because you know, after being able to make pristine wet print, I had to make pristine digital prints. <laughs> right. I've got a serious system. You know, right. it's it gives me way better control than any lab in town. Mm-hmm. Inkjet printers can outprint in color any film. The labs will tell you that. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, one of the scanning companies was using my work, and they were gonna they were gonna fly me to Photo East. It was two thousand mm-hmm. and nine, um, and they said we want to we want to get one of your prints made. So I went to the lab and. It was a color picture, so I had made a nice color inkjet print, and I just said, "Match this." And <laughs> he said, "Wow, this is beautiful." He says, "I can't match this." Oh wow! Because the original was film. It was, the original was an eight by ten transparency. Oh wow! Scanned Those it. were beautiful. The, well, this was a this was a, a it just took thirty minutes to expose because I was a I light painted oh. antique, antique photo stuff. Um, with Ectochrome 64, I used to I used to do a lot of light painting. Right. Okay. And um, it looks like it was a, it looks like a beautiful timeless studio shot. All the lights were going in the right direction, so lights weren't going crazy. Right. If you saw it, you would have known it was it was fiber optic. It was shimmering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done people. I did a rock band for the cover of a, ro- a small rock rock magazine in L.A. The lead singer was the only one standing on the ground, but the rest of his band looked like they're floating in midair. <laughs> so what you do is you sit them in a chair mm-hmm. and you put them and don't paint the chair. Okay. And you put the floor in. And guess what? They're, you know, five inches off the ground just right. in midair. And it looked right. really cool. How that? You know, you were just talking about a color image. You do 
a lot of the stuff that you are printing and, and you mentioned during the workshop at Sammy's showing them how to make black and white images. And, and it seems like you do lean a little bit more heavier on the black and white. Is there something about black and white versus color in your images that you so um, like? You know, when I first started, you know, if you want to process film, you go get Tri-X, go get some Tri-X and screw it up in some rolls of chemicals. chemicals. <laughs> right. Good enough to where you get something on, on your negative. And then the first color film I shot was slides because, you know, those come back and they're slides. You know, there's positive. I mean, right. you, know, you, you, you can do a lot of that. But color taught me how to be taught me how to be better at black and white because black and white is is a collection of shadow and light and feelings mm -hmm. and it's a mood right color is to have the same the color to have the same power has to be so well done you know like maybe a landscape of a scottish countryside where the greenest green is one of those pastures mm -hmm. you know and i'm new photographer i knew these photographers and they were hired to shoot the high-end golf courses around the world they got paid an insane amount of money and they were serious they were they had the highest resolution medium format cameras and their work it looked like old world master paintings okay images and then you know they were digital and i was like wow this is and they got paid tens of thousands of dollars to go do this. Oh, wow. You know, so they would fly out to these golf courses that most people can't even go to because they can't afford to be part of them. And right. they spend like three weeks, you know, shooting. And a lot of times they would collage images. Mm -hmm. But you shoot different times of the day. And with digital, you can just put them together. So you end up getting this, this image that's just stunning. So just to give you a little... Back in the, the old days, when I was a corporate photographer, they needed a picture of the building. Mm -hmm. They wanted four by five. And I was like, not a problem. So I've done a lot of architectural work. So I knew that if you shoot buildings at night, you've got to get there when the sun is still up. Mm -hmm. Put your tripod down. You start shooting a, a few sheets, a few pieces of four by five of the building with the afternoon sun hitting it. Mm -hmm. Then the last picture, the last one, you leave it in the holder and you leave it in place and you wait for the sun to go away. Then you take another shot, you double expose, the light's on in the windows. Oh, okay, so yeah. Is this beautiful shot of dusk with the lights on inside the building. Mm. Easy, it was easier to do digitally, but that's, that's what I had to do with the film. Right. You know? Um, yeah, that is a good look. Yeah, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's the only way, really. And I mean, in the old days, that's uh, all the architectural, all the architectural guys knew these skills to do this. You right. Know? Man, I'm telling you, uh, I wished that they had digital cameras when I was shooting houses for an architect back in the '70s. I had my first professional photo job in New York City that ran out in '75. And I came here because my dad was living in California, in Southern California. And he said, hey, you know, to come hang out with me and my step, your stepmom until you get on your feet. And, um, you know, I got a place for you. 
So I came here and got a part-time job at Sears. I was working there about six months and my dad was working for IBM and he says, hey, they're hiring again. And he says, I can't get you hired. He was a big executive there, mm-hmm. but I can get you an interview. And I said, I don't know anything about electronics. He goes, they, that's not what they're about. You know, a lot of other stuff is electromechanical. He said, I've seen you tear stuff apart, put it back together again. Right. First off, I didn't know he paid attention. So I was amazed <laughs> that. And right. uh, so he talked me into going. So, you know, I went and went to step in this guy's office. And, you know, he, he handed me this. It was two parts of the same thing. And it had gears on it. And it, it was a piece of, of, of I'd never seen before, a piece of equipment. And so he got a stopwatch out and he says, hey, take as long as you want. And then I want you to tell me one of them is working and one of them is not. I want you to tell me what's wrong with the side that's not working. Mm-hmm. And he says, when you say go, I'm going to hit the stopwatch. How long it takes you to figure it out. So he, I, he got me play with it and I fumbled around with it after about two minutes. And then I looked and I said, okay, go. He said, click. I said, that thing there is off. And he says, oh, okay, that's nice. Good. He picked up the skinny probe looking thing with a hook on one end and a little paddle on the other. He said, this is a spring hook. This is a customer engineer's favorite friend. Customer engineer was with the guys who used to fix the typewriters at the offices in suits. Okay. And so he handed it to me and, you know, he said, fix it. So I did. And he said, we're going to be calling you. And I said, yeah, sure you will. And <laughs> <laughs> called me, called me like six months later. Three months, three months later, they called me. And then about the time they were called call me to come in, because then I had I got to give my two-week notice at Sears, the store manager found me. I was in housewares, sporting goods, and firearms at Sears. Mm-hmm. And I used to assemble all the lawnmowers. I was the one where I assembled a lawnmower and there were no parts left. Right. You know? <laughs> so he goes, hey, we've been watching you. And. I want to offer you a promotion. I said to what? He goes, you know, Sears used to have guys that would, uh, you could pay them to roof your house. Right. And that was a lot of money. Right. And they got 9% commission. Oh, wow. And they wrote that up. And he said, I'm going to put you with these guys and train you because we think you'd do well. And I was like, ah, I said, hey, I'm grateful for the, the honor to do this, but I got hired by IBM. He goes, I'm not surprised. He said, if it doesn't work out, you can come back. And I thought to myself, if it doesn't work out, I'm not coming back here. <laughs> I'm going somewhere else. But yeah, uh, IBM, great company. So they were six months of training in a suit mm-hmm. on all their typewriters and two two pieces of dictation equipment. Okay. So the with the ball, the train right. to correcting selectric, selectric, and then the standard, and then the executive. They trained us to fix those blindfolded. Oh, wow. Or being shot at. You know, it was almost like <laughs> ray training. You know, they, in suits, you're at someone's desk mm-hmm. and she's wringing her hands because the boss is on her back to get this report done and she can't get it done because you her machine's broken. So you gotta <laughs> go in there and save the day, you know, that kind of stuff. So Right. Yeah, literally. I mean a lot of times the girls would call us because the machine wasn't working, and all they wanted to do was talk to somebody about something else. <laughs> and I can tell that was wrong with the machine, but you know, and it, it's part of it. It's part right. Of part of the thing. So I was there for almost four years, and one day I realized I like fixing things, but I don't like the corporate world. 
Right. So I went to lunch with one of the old guys that had been there 10 years. He looked pretty beat down. Mm -hmm. And I said, Bob, because they're all named Bob. Everybody like this named Bob. <laughs> right. And he's like, yeah. And they sound like they're worn out too. Uh, Bob, I only been working here. He's like, gosh, um, he got this look on his face. Mm -hmm. And I said, I never want to have a look on my face. I said, I'm quitting. Right. And so two weeks later, I gave my notice. And my boss was astounded. He couldn't believe I could just leave a company like that. And I said, hey, man, I got no kids, no wife, and my dream is to be a photographer, and I'm going to go back to that. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of the wisest decisions I ever made. Right. And uh, from manual typewriters to manual cameras, right? Pretty much, but all IBM's, all of IBM's machines had, were electric motor. Even, okay. even the non-ball ones, mm -hmm. they, had a, they had a big motor driving them. There's a... That was a big motor and all those things. It was, I was I was astounded by the size of the motor. Right. It wasn't a little tiny fist size motor. It was like almost refrigerator size. It's a lot of torque. Okay. Do you think that some part of the way that you're wired that made you good at assembling and disassembling and repairing that that technical side of your brain? that you were able to tap into that for your creative side as well? Is there any crossover there, do you think? Um, I discovered I was good at photography because I wanted to draw. And okay. I was frustrated at it because I had no drawing skills. I knew some of my friends could look at you and sketch you. Mm -hmm. I mean, they would take they take a pencil on any kind of paper and just do a line. Wow, that's in the depth of the presence of the person who's there. And I go, wow, you can train that. Me right. can't train, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna do some some scribbles. That's you know, look at this. Hey, what do you think? Oh, young man, your feelings are gonna get hurt because you suck. <laughs> and I did. And um, I you know, I picked up a camera and the first picture came out I took, the second one, the third one, the fourth one. It scared me. Every time I saw something I shot it, it looked just like I saw it in my mind. Okay. And I soon realized that this is your gift. So that's why I'm a photographer, because I can't draw. <laughs> so I draw with light. Right. Light is the ink and the camera is the pencil. The light and shadow, those things create depth. Mm -hmm. And I don't just print the picture when I adjust my files. Just like I went in a dark room and I would, I, I would I'd expose my film specifically to make the best print possible. Right. I prepare my digital files to make the best print possible. Okay. In color and in black and white. So I was explaining to one of the guys that I started mentoring because he, you know, he can eat this guy. He's, he's got an eye. He can shoot. And so I would, I, he, he, and he's pretty good at adjusting his files. And I said, you should add vignetting to that just a little bit so your eyes are drawn into the middle. And I said, mm -hmm. you should lighten that. You should take the silver away from that, cut it in the middle. The little things. Right. You know, little, little, little things. Um, well, you mentioned, you mentioned your floating egg image earlier and, and in talking about shadow and light and depth. 
I think you wrote a little blog piece on your website about, you know, you didn't just take that image the first time out. You studied the egg and the light, right? Yeah, for, okay, for yeah. a while. Yeah, because the sun the sun changes and the the shadows create the depth of the feeling as they move. Mm -hmm. So you know, you, so I tell people take an object, put it where the, some light can hit it. You can either put it where some light can hit it, and you come back and take pictures of different times of the day, or you get a daylight powered little lamp and use that, put an egg down in an egg holder, and mm -hmm. use that to show where the shadows fall. Right. And you know, you'd be shocked at how that an egg can be based <laughs> on how the light's hitting it. Right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the guys that traveled over and photographed the golf courses, and you've been able to do a little bit of traveling in your career. What were some of your favorite places to go shoot? Oh, man. I, I, um, the first trip the company sent me out on was uh, Tokyo, mm -hmm. of Japan. So we landed in Kyoto, and we had three days in Kyoto, a lovely city. And then we took a bullet train to Japan where they had a black tie dinner and they they they, had, they told me to go get a tuxedo buy one and they, they reimbursed me and i did this in la i went to a place and got it because i said you're going to wear this a lot right uh, and um on that trip the top 25 percent of their the people that the, 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 the top earners got a bonus trip to thailand so i went to photograph so my job was to photograph the people that were winning the trips so the ones that weren't working hard were getting pissed off. Right. Literally. And I mean, we went to some outrageous places. Oof, man, it's where was the other place? I think you've mentioned you've talked to me before about going to Prague and Germany and that was that was on my own. Um Okay. So on all these trips, I didn't take any free time. I just I was working all the time. Um mm -hmm. they flew me to France twice, England once, Tahiti, mm -hmm. Australia, lots of times in the Caribbean, Haiti. Okay. I want to go back to Japan on my own, um, you know, uh, just get a cup of coffee and sit, <laughs> sit, right. and sit and watch, you know, I want to do, I got to figure out, you know, I know the, the seasons are different. You can't just go when it's summer here and think it's summer there, it doesn't work that way. Right. You get the rainy season, you're going to get wet all the time. It doesn't bother me. I like rain. Where was it? Oh, they, Transamerica insured the 84 Olympics. So guess what? What? Daddy had to go shoot the Olympics. <laughs> Just like a Sports Illustrated guy. And I, I knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but they had hired me after uh, the security checks on all the photographers worldwide so right. i couldn't go i couldn't get on the field but i could go on the stands mm -hmm. so they gave me a stack of pristine tickets and they right. all the places they wanted me to shoot i didn't go home for two weeks oh wow yeah it was uh quite uh quite amazing it was something right. else. huh that's right yeah that it sounds like it would be so did you have it were any of those places you've talked about anything about it you liked either the culture or the food or the people or the weather from a photographic standpoint um to see a picture to see the tour of Elm, the eiffel tower mm -hmm. I mean, 
that's as much French as I know as Tour Eiffel. You know, see the Eiffel <laughs> Tower in person after you've seen it in a book. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen it until you've seen it in person. It's right. just magnificent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just there's a and it's it's just this big elegant thing that flows up out of the ground and just sits there. Right. You know? And it looks different every time I see it. Every time I photographed it, it looks different. Yeah, that, that and and I, I I was going to France a lot. I went to France. I went to Paris so much that I got to a point where I didn't need a map anymore to walk around the city. Okay. It's so funny because uh, the French thought I was French mm-hmm. because you know wherever I go, I don't dress like an American. I dress like one of them. Right. And so they'd stop and start rattling off French to me. And I said, oh, excuse me, uh, I don't uh, party go on play. Well, they try to walk away. And I go, wait, are you lost? Uh, yes. Where are you trying to go? I need to get to Place du Baba. So it's over there. Go out of there. Oh, you know Paris very well. I was like, well, you know. The funny thing about Paris is there'll be a name of a street here on the map. Mm-hmm. And then down the block, it changes on the same street. <laughs> and the streets go this way and then they turn and then they stop right you know yeah but it's uh, not good <laughs> if you're not used to it right. i got tired of paris it's paris will wear you out mm-hmm. you're on and off trains you're on buses if you're handicapped paris is not the city for you right they're just now starting to put elevated escalators in to get down to the subway None of the buses have a way for a handicapped person to get on, or they didn't. Mm. In a wheelchair, you better hope there's two strong guys on the bus and the bus right. driver stops to, let, to get them off to pick you up or put you on the bus. Mm. Yeah, it's... So what about New York City as oh, a man. city to photograph in? New York is the best. New York is the food. Of the there's no, there's no bad food in New York. There's lots of things you shouldn't be eating, but <laughs> it's not bad. You know, this is the, the the famous New York pizza, you know, a slice. Right. Uh, the hot dogs, the, the kosher hot dogs, just right. You, know, you just can't, you just can't, you can't overlook that. Um, I got, and I would be out all night. I would, they, so I, I worked for um, a summer work program as the photographer for the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I had an Olympus OM1 and a 50 millimeter lens. That was, that was all I needed. And they said, we got your transportation. And they gave me one of those canvas bags you put coins in. All right. About 20 pounds. It was full of subway tokens. Okay. And so I said, oh, this is cool. So I got to, I'm getting, I got to, they just use the tokens. So I used them up. And right. I around and go do my jobs. One of the first assignments was to shoot a summer block party in Spanish Harlem. Okay. And, you know, it starts at 12 noon. Mm-hmm. It goes till 12 noon the next day. Oh, wow. And it's rum and coca. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I didn't know this, but there was a lot, I saw lots of glasses of Coca Cola, right? Right. I didn't know half of it was uh, Bacardi, Bacardi rum. <laughs> and I mean, the strong stuff. Right. So I was, it was hot. And I said, hey, man, let me one of those Cokes. Oh, okay. Here you go, man. <laughs> you know, I guzzled, I was like, oh man, it was 151. Oh. 151 proof rum. Right. And you know, I was okay. I was young, so I didn't do that again, but <laughs> I was like, oh man. 
but they the music was amazing that they played they did these it was crazy mm -hmm. you know, all over we were in the, the jewish quarter spanish harlem harlem uh midtown um you know uh i like that place because you don't need a car to get around right you ride somewhere you can walk you meet people people are friendly to each other you have to be right People are angry in Los Angeles because they're in cars all day. <laughs> they hate each other, you know. And in traffic. Yes, and they, they, you know, road rage. You know, it's like they want to kill each other behind the car. Right. I'll say this: I'm so happy that they're shooting film again. Mm -hmm. Now they're ruining film. Right. They're going, and it's not cheap. So what is your, I think you, you were telling me that your go-to is T-Max in Xtal. Is that right? Yes. T-Max 400 in, in uh, Xtal. And I do it at, get your pencils, boys and girls. <laughs> um, I use Xtal at 75 degrees. That T-Max is recommended to be processed at 75 degrees, not 68. So okay. that's 24 Celsius. And I use a Jobo rotary processor, but the times are the same. So okay. you can do inversion if you want to. Okay. Seven and a half minutes with, uh, what is it? What did I say? Uh, seven and a half minutes at, at 75 degrees in the developer, mixed one, one to three, mixed one to three. So one part developer, three parts water. Yeah. Okay. But you don't write it at 400D. I shoot it. I, I I I step on it. I mean, I I overexpose it by one stop. So I shoot it at two hundred. Okay. Then I pull the processing. So right. Recommended to process it longer. So I take some time off. So I do it at seven and a half minutes, and that's been my formula for years. So what is what is it about T Max versus Triax? Triax has got a lovely tooth to it. Mm -hmm. T Max doesn't have a tooth to it. It's just sharp. Right very sharp and you're happy with the wet prints i like wet prints and i don't print a lot like i used to i'm going to start again i also want to start doing platinum printing right kind of looking forward to that i you know i know it's expensive but uh and i'm not great i'm not i don't want to make big prints i want to make the biggest print i want to make because i had i bought the roll attachment for my epson printer so i can put the translucent material that to make the negatives on okay you make a 17 by 22 inch negative if you want to oh wow yeah and it would look great that's the goal at some point but yeah. um to be able to do that you read this i wrote i write i write i do write some poems but this is a this is kind of like a statement about what photographs is yeah um, why don't you read that to us that might be a good note to go out on I am people you did not know you knew. Fix your scene with closed eyes, a memory not recalled. Something you said you've never done. Place is not yet gone. Photographs. Photographs. Which is also the name of your website, right? Yeah, that was a. Uh, that means that it's all kinds of of of, of, of photography. It's kind of like a plural and you right. know I, I snagged that name before people were putting z's on the end of things. thing it just 
you know, and at the time I didn't think much of it, but now some people have said to me, boy, that name, you nailed that. I said, yeah, nobody else can use it. They have to put a, a number behind it or something, but they can't <laughs> use it for anything. That's right. And, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know what I was going to say. Uh, we, we were off, we were off mic about it. I am now at the point where I've always been, I'm not a photographer, I'm an artist. And I had to be told that by a lot of, of people. Uh, I remember uh, the person that, that, that said that to me first was Stevie Wonder's brother. He's his manager. Okay. There was an art director, Spike Lee's art director back in the 90s, middle 90s or early 90s, was working with Spike doing a bunch of stuff. His name was Art Sims. And Art, I was shooting some work for Art, and Art said to me, hey, man, he said, Frank, you, I really like your work. And he says, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder's people are looking for a photographer to shoot him because he hasn't had any pictures taken. And I'm going to tell him about you. I didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. you know, I said, you know, L.A. people blow smoke at you all the time. <laughs> right. Oh, you, you are, oh, we're going to call you back. Oh, you're, oh, you know, monkeys are flying over there. You, you, just, you, know, <laughs> you know, come get a banana, you know. So. Right. Uh, I didn't believe him, and you know, my phone rang 11 30 at night, like two weeks later. Hey, this is Milton. I'm Stevie Wonder's brother. I, nah, I know you're not. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not playing. He said, Can you bring your portfolio right now? I was like, What? I said, Okay. So he told me where to go. Stevie Wonder owns or did at the time, he might, Nat Kane Cole's old sound studio in Los Angeles. Okay. And that's where they were. You know, they had. It was like a clubhouse they built there. And that was his hangout spot where he would do his music. And it was a big place. So I right. drove up. Back in the day in photography, contemporary photographers had beautiful portfolios, custom boxes with your name on it, like a folio. And then you had boards with your transparencies put in them. You know, you could uh, tailor a portfolio depending on who the client was. Slides. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, the color work I'd done. And, and so he's looking at it. I'm sitting there, you know, he's looking all of a sudden got real quiet. And he said, I'm not looking at photographs. I'm looking at works of art. He said, how come I don't know you? I said, man, I, I don't know. He said, <laughs> he said, what's your rate? I said, I have, a, I had a, I had a rep at the time. Thank God. Cause I, I'm not my, I'm not my worst enemy when it comes to rates. <laughs> Right. I said, I said, she does the contract. So you, you talk to her about money. I gave mm -hmm. him her number. And that was our deal with me and her. I said, if, if she showed the portfolio, she could be able to talk. And if I did it, I would never say anything about money. Right. She was very good. She was very, very, she was almost a lawyer, literally. She had right. to be to write the contract. And so I was planning to go to hang out with a friend of mine in Arizona that weekend. Mm -hmm. So she, told me on Thursday, I'm going to talk to Milton tomorrow on Friday. So Saturday morning, she called me. She said, you're not going to Arizona. You got the job. I said, oh, okay. She got me more money than I've ever seen in my life for that. And I was like, Phew. and it was, it was, it was a thing where I got a certain amount of money if it was it stayed under eight hours mm -hmm. and then if it went over eight hours i got even more money it okay. went over eight hours he was eight hours late 
Oh, wow. He shows up when he wants, which is, you know, that's TV. Hey, he doesn't, right. have, he doesn't have, he, listen, he doesn't know night and day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that's right. It's TV wonder. You know, if uh, Martin Luther King said, hey, I'll just go to the house and wait for me. I'd be right. Okay. Whenever you get there, it's fine. I'm not going <laughs> right. anywhere. You know? So he comes in and we had, I mean, I'm, it was great. Um, I shot color, mostly color, transparency. Mm -hmm. And I still own, I own most of that job. Right. Shot uh, Fuji transparency film with the Hasselblad. Okay. Wonderful. Very nice, man. Very yeah. talented musician. Oh, man. He's got songs he hasn't even published yet. He's probably going to die. And as his music that we, we haven't even heard, he's done probably. Right. Yeah. Well, another story you told me before was about getting to photograph Gordon Parks. Uh, well, oh, how did man. that go? How did that happen? That was, that's like uh, you hear about a legend and you like Muhammad Ali. You hear about Muhammad Ali and I'd like to like to take pictures of him one day. And, you know, you hear about Gordon Parks. It's, it's almost like he's in another planet. Right. And I had a client in, in Watts and they helped the community. And um, she would call me for special projects. Mm-hmm. Going right, Frank, get your ass down here. <laughs> I said, okay, what's going on? She said, Gordon Parks is coming, and I stopped breathing. <laughs> she said, yeah, he's speaking to a graduating class in one of the high schools here, and I'm hosting him for, for, the, for the talk and the class. Mm -hmm. Get down here. So I said, oh, yeah. So she called me another photographer. The other photographer was, uh, he'd won a Pulitzer, and I okay. knew it. another great guy. And um, so we get there. And we're both kind of excited because you know we, we get to we get to photograph Gordon Parks. Mm -hmm. So I meet him, he's very nice, you know, and then he does a speech. And I said, Mr. Parks, I can't believe I'm talking to you. I said, I want to photograph you. You let me do what I want. He going, Yeah, man, yeah. So I got a chair, I took it outside, and there was clouds in the sky. Thank God, because I hate I hate blue skies, they're boring. All right. In the sky. And there was about 100 boys. Mm -hmm. They had on white shirts and dark slacks. And so I put the chair down. He sits in the chair and he crosses his legs and he picks his cuffs, picks some lint off his pants. Very classy. <laughs> and he smiles at me. His, his mouth opens up in his bright, shiny teeth and he goes, You ready? I go, Yeah. And he goes, And all the boys lift their fists up and I snap two pictures. Oh, wow. And everybody that sees that gets quiet. Right. I get quiet every time I see it. It and is a fantastic shot. That one's on your website also, right? Yeah, it's there. Yeah. Well, Frank, this has been great. And again, I really appreciate your time, not just for this conversation, but for, you know, the other times we talked and all the, like I said before, you know, just sharing all of your wisdom and insight and, and expertise with me. It really is inspiring. Thank you, man. It, it, uh, it's always nice for somebody that to help, you know, and, and, and I learn too. I, I never stop learning. You know, it's right. a two way street. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored to do it. Absolutely. I really want to thank Frank Jackson again for sharing some of his experiences. 
Frank's website and Instagram handle is photographs, F-O-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Z. So please check out the show notes and check out his work. I've also posted links to a profile and separate interview with Frank from former guest of the show, Daniel Milner. Our theme song, Timeless, is from Mike Gutterman. Check out all of the music Mike makes available on his Bandcamp page at mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. You can get in touch with the Sunny 16 team at sunny16presents at gmail.com. And as John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being.